Boker Tov Talmidim. Don't worry. Don't call Dr. MacArthur. We're not speaking in tongues. Uh, as I do to my Old Testament survey students every uh, morning, I said in Hebrew, Boker Tov Talmidim. Good morning, uh, students. And like good little first graders, they say to me in Hebrew, Good morning, uh, teacher. So uh, you uh, were looking online as to who was to speak in chapel today, and you see John MacArthur, and you get me. Uh, sometimes when I pinch hit for him, and this is not the first time, I feel like uh, it's the bottom of the ninth in Yankee Stadium, and the Yankees are behind three runs, and bases are loaded, and Babe Ruth is up to bat. And out of the dugout comes a rookie, you know. And, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, though, how does that rookie feel, uh, you know? Uh, so I feel like uh, that rookie coming to bat for J-Mac. Um, <laughs> to change the figure, you came for the Big Mac and you get a cheeseburger. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Blame Adam Ashoff, uh, he, uh, he's the manager who stuck me into the lineup, but um, in all seriousness, and I don't know if you're going to edit that out of the tape or whatever, but anyway, anyway, uh, uh, but uh, it's a great honor to stand uh, in the same pulpit uh, where Dr. MacArthur stands. Uh, Adam said, could you think about maybe a seasonal message uh, something, maybe the Old Testament background for this great season that we are entering into. Uh, most of us don't come from churches uh, that celebrate Advent, uh, but it's not a bad idea to start thinking four Sundays ahead of Christmas about the prophecies of the Old Testament. And uh, I want to uh, just think in those areas and it's a very Jewish area, so, so I greet you with Mary Messiahmas. And uh, there's a reason for that. Uh, the word Christ is uh, from the Greek word, which means anointed one. And uh, so Christ is Messiah. So we'll just do a little Jewish, uh, Jewish uh, approach to Christmas by saying Merry Messiahmas, and next week we have Hanukkah, so we'll uh, uh, include all of the holidays. Jews like to joke. Um, I, I'm not sure this is a funny joke, but uh, uh, they, they even joke about the Messiah, if you can believe this. Here's some Israelis standing on a street corner waiting for a bus and waiting and waiting and waiting. And the little old Jewish grandmother says, waiting for this bus is like waiting for the Messiah. To which they respond, there's a difference. The Messiah will eventually come as for this bus. This is, this is well, thank you for, uh, for laughing. <laughs> for the 90% of you who are still waiting to laugh, um, try this one on for size. What? did the number zero say to the number eight? That's a nice belt you're wearing. <laughs> what? Adam, what has that got to do with Christmas? Absolutely nothing. 
but the 10% laugh meter raised maybe to 20% laugh meter. So maybe we just, uh, you know, enough of that, okay? Now, um, um, I was told years ago, say something funny at the beginning of a message, get their attention. All right, so anyway. So the rest is not funny. Uh, it's very, why are you laughing if it's not funny? Uh, uh, the rest is uh, uh, serious. It's a happy uh, 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 occasion, but it, it is an occasion uh, that just didn't start with the birth of Jesus. There was a preparation for it. I don't want to load you down with data, but uh, we have a, a developing promise of the Messiah in the Old Testament, and uh, that, uh, that Messiah, uh, there's a narrowing. There's a narrowing. Uh, as a matter of fact, it gets narrower and narrower. Uh, Genesis 3.15, what that says basically is that the deliverer who will crush the serpent's head is coming from the human race. That's it. That's all. The seed of the woman. Uh, uh, he uh, shall bruise you on the heel, but you will, uh, excuse me, you will bruise him on the heel, but he the seed of the woman will crush your head. You won today. You won today. But you're not going to win. You attempted uh, and were succeeding in, uh, in uh, deceiving the first Adam. But the last Adam is going to win this battle. But that's all it says. It says he shall come from the human race. Noah had three sons, and from Noah, the whole human race came. But it's narrowed again to Shem, one of Noah's sons. And uh, uh, Yahweh will be the God of Shem. So if we're looking for uh, the Messiah, um, God bless the Hamites, and God bless the Japhetites. As I look around, I see probably a lot of Japhetites, and I'm among them. Uh, but uh, God is going to send the deliverer through one branch of mankind, and that's the seed of Shem. And uh, we read in Genesis uh, 11 and 12 that there's a Shemite. The word Semite actually relates to that word Shem. Uh, there's a man named Abram uh, who eventually becomes Abraham. And so the promise is narrowed a little bit further uh, when God says, uh, In your seed, Abram, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Hey, that's you and me. That's not just for the Jewish people. It's for all of us who would be blessed through Abram. And Abram has uh, sons, but uh, there's uh, one son that is chosen, Isaac. And Isaac shall your seed be called. And Isaac has two sons, uh, Jacob and Esau. And Esau is okay. Uh, it's not that uh, God hates all of Esau's descendants. No, but God is choosing Jacob to be the one that, again, is going to narrow the promise a little bit further. And Jacob uh, has, has, has one, two, three, four wives, and there's 12 sons that come from them. Can't tell the players for a scorecard, uh, except with a scorecard. Uh, 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 and there's 12 sons that come from them, and, and, and from them comes one, and that's Judah, and old Jacob says that the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, until Peacebringer comes, 
until Shalom man comes. And he'll be a descendant of uh, uh, the woman, Shem, Abram, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah. Well, there's still a lot of descendants of Judah, but uh, God sends Samuel to anoint a little shepherd boy, and his name is David. And when he rises to be king, God makes a covenant with him and says, one of your descendants will be eternal because um, uh, how can you have an eternal throne, an eternal kingdom, without an eternal person to sit on that kingdom? So that's the Davidic covenant. But then it's narrowed in even further. David has a lot of uh, descendants, but there's one born in Bethlehem, and that's what I want us to focus in on today. If you forget all of this, we're really going to zero in on Micah 5 too. Micah 5 2, but you Bethlehem Ephrata, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet there shall come forth from you uh, Bethlehem, one who will be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from everlasting, and that is the Messiah. Now that's the background. All of this is coming to bear on that night and the following nights. Uh, uh, that we observe uh, Christmas, Nativity, Yuletide, Advent, uh, the, but for us, the coming of the Messiah. This had a prehistory, and that prehistory, uh, Paul says, when the fullness of time was come, the fullness of time, uh, and I want you, as you approach uh, the season this year, to have these Old Testament texts in mind. But I also want you, as we look at these familiar texts, like nativity texts, to think about that as well. I want to talk to you today, in the time remaining for me, uh, about the mythology of the Magi. Now, I've mentioned Dr. MacArthur before, and I'll mention him again. Please don't text him right now and say, uh, Varner believes that the Magi was a myth. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about not the true story of, of the Magi being a myth, but a lot of mythological things that have grown up around the Magi. That's what I want to um, call your attention to today. And uh, uh, the text that is uh, of particular interest to us is one of those four passages in Matthew 1 and 2 where Matthew describes the young Messiah's life. The announcement to Joseph uh, in Matthew 1, 18 through 25, an angel appears and says, uh, uh, your wife is going to have a child in fulfillment, what? Of Isaiah 7, 14. So right away we read that the Old Testament is being fulfilled. Joseph, uh, a virgin, shall conceive and bear a son. The next text is the one that we're going to emphasize today. is Matthew 2, 1 to 12. The Magi to Bethlehem. And it's anchored by an Old Testament text. I've already quoted it to you. Micah 5.2, Micah 5.2, we'll come back to that. Then we have uh, the family fleeing from uh, Herod and going down into Egypt, too problematic, we don't have time to look at it, text, Hosea and Jeremiah are cited there. That even in the flight uh, uh, to Egypt and, and the scariness of, uh, of, 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 of babies being killed, 
prophecy is being fulfilled in the young Messiah's life. And finally, they come back and... Uh, Oh, I wish I had time to go into this, but this is not a lecture on Messianic prophecy. Uh, but they come back and hear that uh, Herod the Great's son is ruling in Judea. They say, there's still going to be a price on this kid's head, so let's go up north. Uh, and they settle in Nazareth. In each of these, each of these movements of the young Messiah's life, it's anchored by an Old Testament text in order that it might be fulfilled. Let's look at that a little bit closer. There's a repeated pattern in each section. Again, I don't want to drown you in data here, but uh, if you want this uh, PowerPoint, uh, yes, how will I get it to you? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, good. We'll, we'll solve that problem later. Notice that each of these four sections begins with a when or after. When Joseph was thinking about these things, when Jesus was born again, when Herod died, uh, when Jesus was born, yes, now that's heresy, Jesus was born again. Yeah, you didn't even notice that, did you? When Jesus was born Okay, 2.13, when Herod died, and 2.19. So, so it begins with a when, then it always has a behold. Uh, behold, uh, an angel appears to Joseph, an angel appears to the Magi, an angel appears to uh, uh, Joseph again, and then in 2.7 and 9, hmm, maybe an angel does appear to the Magi. Coming back to that. Then there's a command. Take her as your wife. You go to Bethlehem. You come out of Egypt. You settle in Nazareth. In each of these sections, it's following a pattern. Then there's instruction in a dream. A dream for Joseph. A dream for the Magi. A dream for Joseph. Each one of these. You see a little Greek there? Ignore it. That's all right. Uh, I, I'm just putting in Greek for the... Uh, a benefit of my Greek students. And then finally, and most important, an Old Testament passage is fulfilled. In each one of them, it says these things happen in order that it might be fulfilled, Isaiah 7, 14, Micah 5, 2, Hosea 12, 1, Jeremiah 31, and then that problematic text that the prophets might be fulfilled. He will live in Nazareth. Let me just do a little parenthesis there, that thing about Nazareth. Um, uh, that is a problem because uh, it says that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. There's no text in the Old Testament that says he will be called a Nazarene. None! Was Matthew crazy? No, Matthew wasn't crazy. Uh, it's probably a pun. Uh, yeah, probably a pun. There's many times in the Old Testament when the Messiah will be called branch, the branch. And the word for branch is the root of the word Nazareth. So notice, according to the prophets, maybe it's a summation of all those prophetic statements about the Messiah will be the branch. And so, you want to give a devotional this Christmas, when you're asked by the youth pastor to give a devotional to the youth group, here's a suggestion. Branch man from Branch Town. <laughs> got that? You know, I have learned it doesn't really matter about the content as long as you've got a cool title for the message. Yeah, yeah, okay, good. Just teasing, just teasing. He's Branch man from Branch Town, yeah. 
He's Mr. Branch from the town called Branch. So that's it. All right, now, back to what we were talking about. All right, now, uh, we want to focus in. And I need some help. I got a volunteer here. I got a volunteer here. I got a volunteer to read the scripture. Thank you, Ryan Swedberg, for volunteering. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. You got more cheering than I got, Ryan. All right, you got it, Matthew 2? Not the Greek, Ryan, the English. All right. Now, you read when I tell you, only when I tell you. Okay, good, good. You're not getting any extra credit for this. I want you to know that. Hey, uh, put away your cell phone and get out your Bible. I said it, didn't I? Yeah, put away your cell phone and get out your Bible. I'll never forget, I was at Grace Community Church, and some women basketball players from TMC, as it was called then, were sitting behind me. I also had them in Old Testament survey. The next Monday morning, one of the women, smart aleck basketball player, said to me, Dr. Varner, yesterday in church, I saw you had your cell phone out. I said, yeah. She said, were you checking your email? I said, no. <laughs> I was checking Facebook. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> smart aleck girl. So, put away Facebook, unless you want to say, Dr. Warner is giving the best message I've ever heard in my life. Send it. Yeah, no, but no. <laughs> Turn to Matthew 2. You still have that thing called the Bible with pages? Matthew chapter 2. There are three men on camels approaching Bethlehem. Obviously, this is staged. I want to speak to you, not that the story of the Magi is a myth, but I want to talk to you about on some of the myths that have grown up around the Magi, the mythology associated with the Magi. But let's read the text. Go, Ryan. Go. Matthew 2. And you go till I stop you. All right, go. Okay, thank you. Stay right there. Okay, now there are some myths that have grown up about uh, the Magi. We can start off right with the song. I won't sing it. We three kings of Orient are. The first myth is that there was three. Now there might have been three, but there could have been four. There could have been five. Could have been six. The number three that has traditionally been associated with them is because they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But that's the first myth, that there were three. We don't know that there were three. We three kings, 
we three kings, nowhere does it say that they were kings. It says they were what? Magi, okay? The traditional translation is wise men, but I prefer magi because it's more than three wise guys that came, uh, more than three wise men. They were called magi. Uh, we three kings. Actually, the, magis, uh, the, the magi in ancient Babylonia and Persia were not kings. They were actually kingmakers. Uh, they actually participated when a new king of Babylon or Persia, and they went over from Babylon to Persia when the Persians took control. They actually participated in the crowning of the new king. So there is a, you know, a significance to them being kingmakers. Because as Ryan read, they said to, uh, they asked um, uh, uh, Herod, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Now let me tell you, Herod, Herod was king of the Jews. That was his title. That title had been bestowed on him by the Roman Senate. You are the king of the Jews. But notice they said, where is, they did not say, where is he who was declared by the Romans king of the Jews? They said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? By birthright. No doubt that raised Herod's interest, uh, who, who had already by this time executed three of his own family, two sons by this time, who he thought were threats to his kingship. As a matter of fact, the bad guy, five days before he died, executed, took his son out of his will and executed him. The man was paranoia. So you can see how the question, uh, where is he who has a birthright to be king of the Jews, raised his interest. Oh, well, you asked the wrong guy a Bible question when you ask Herod. <laughs> I don't know. Ask the rabbis. <laughs> and so the rabbis were spot on when they said, in Bethlehem is where he is born. Now, there's some other myths of the Magi. Uh, uh, there are three names, Balthazar, Caspar, and Melchior. Did you know that? It's in between the text there somewhere. No, it's not there. Uh, uh, their names are not given. Uh, that's part of the mythology of the Magi. Uh, there's also, we know that two of them were of uh, lighter skin and one was of a darker skin. We do. Well, that's the way they're always portrayed. I have no idea what color Magi is. You know, uh, magenta maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea what color they were, but it, it's sort of like assume. Well, one of them black, two of them white. Uh, you know, you know they didn't play in the NBA. I can tell you that right now. You know, if uh, if uh, only uh, if two of them were white. You know, so, um, so okay. Well, uh, all right. So um, uh, I don't know what color they were. Uh, their names, kings, three, and also here's the one that really hurts. Uh, they were probably not there when the shepherds were there standing around this beautiful manger where Jesus is laid. Uh, no, Matthew uh, says this. Read, Ryan. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so 
that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way. And lo, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them, until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house. Okay. They went into the house. It's very interesting. Uh, the word that Luke uses for this little one is baby. Uh, so when the shepherds came in Luke 2, he had just been born. He was a baby. But Matthew uses a different word, not ba word for infant, but the word for small child. So uh, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe uh, he was the size of that little one in that lady's arms. And notice no manger is mentioned, uh, but they went into the house. So all of this uh, argues that uh, the Magi's visit to Bethlehem, and it was a real visit, uh, was not at the same time as the shepherds who came soon after the birth. Today is born in the city of David. A savior. Today, you know, okay. Uh, but no, he comes, they come uh, into a house, uh, and they come to see a small child. So another uh, uh, myth uh, associated with the Magi. Finish our reading, Ryan. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God, Thank you, Ryan. The other guy's got a quarter, but you, you get a dime. All right, good, good. That's all I have. Thank you very yep. much. Yeah. I got to mention Ibex. They don't call me Dr. Ibex for nothing. But, uh, I mean, it's like you're driving down the street and you're reminded of the Bible, okay? This is an actual two street signs in Jerusalem that says one way to Yehuda Street and the other way to Beit Lechem. Micah 5 2. But you, Bethlehem, but you, Bethlehem, uh, 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 though you be small among the tribes of Judah. So here we are, uh, uh, the land of Israel. Uh, and I might say we've got space in future semesters for you. Now, uh, those are some of the myths associated. Micah 5.2 is not a myth. But those are some of the myths. Oh, I might say, just because now that you're in the know, and that you know that the Magi were probably not there with the shepherds, don't go home and destroy your nativity set. Don't go to church and lecture your pastor if he, they have a nativity scene. You know, uh, you know um, just, just give your devotional this summer to the youth group and, and remind them of it. But don't, don't uh, destroy anything. Now, there's one more myth, and this is what I want to focus in on uh, here. What was the star of Bethlehem? I think there's one more myth. Now, this is my opinion. You can take it for what it's worth, or you can reject it. The Earlier myths, I think, are pure myths. This is what I'm going to suggest is a myth. But at least it's based on the text of Scripture. What was the star of Bethlehem? There have been efforts down through the years by astronomers, scientists, and others 
to identify this brightness, whatever it was. Was it a comet? I have heard and read that uh, it may not have been Halley's Comet, but it was another comet that appeared in the sky. Was it a supernova, an explosion of a, uh, of a star that was exceedingly bright? And I have even heard uh, sermons given that uh, so-and-so said in 8 B.C. there was a supernova. Mm, yeah. Was it a conjunction of planets? I've heard that recently. Saturn is behind Jupiter, and Jupiter is, uh, you know, so forth. It's a conjunction of planets that would have been a, uh, a bright, quote, star in, in the sky, like the supermoon uh, that some of us saw the other night. Uh, not a conjunction of planets, but a brightness um, in the sky. Uh, all of those, I guess, are popular, are possible, uh, but there's some problems with that. Matthew 2 says the star appeared and disappeared. That's not like a supernova. Uh, that it moved west. Then it started moving south. That doesn't sound like a comet to me. Uh, and finally it stood over the house. Now how do you stand over the house without shining light down on the house? Let me tell you, if a comet got that close... To shine on a single house in Bethlehem. There would have been no Bethlehem. There would have been no house. And there would have been no Judah left uh, for Jesus to be born into. You see, I have some problems with that. I have some problems with the natural explanation. You know, we believe in creation. Amen? Say amen. amen. We believe in creation. We believe in the historicity of the Bible. But sometimes we... Uh, Evangelicals, I don't know if I use that word. Bible believers use fundamentalists, I'll get kicked out. Use evangelicals, I'll get kicked out. Uh, we Bible believers um, want to always give a scientific explanation for the Bible. Why do we have to give a scientific explanation? We believe it's true. We believe it's according to true science. But why do we think we always have to give a scientific explanation? Maybe there's something else going on here. And I want to make the radical suggestion that um, the star of Bethlehem was an angel. Now, some have modified this by saying it was the Shekinah glory of God. I'm not going to fuss with that. But I think uh, the idea that the star was actually an angel, a glorious angel... Uh, has something to say for it. So this is part of my message on the mythology of the Magi. Number one, it parallels with other angelic appearances. Now this is why I went to that trouble of trying to point out to you that these four sections are in a certain pattern. There's a time thing when... Uh, uh, he was thinking on these things when Jesus was born, when Herod died. Then there's a behold in each one of them. Behold, magi come from the east. Behold, uh, an angel. Uh, an angel appears in all the, uh, each of the three other sections. And notice it's the word appeared. An angel appeared to Joseph. An angel appeared to the wise man. An angel appeared to 
um, Joseph. Uh, but there's no reference to an angel in Matthew 2. But it is interesting that the very same Greek word that is used for an angel appeared is the word that is used about the star. They said, they said go and search for him according to the time of the stars appearing. It's the same word. Same word. So I think that uh, the biggest argument that I have for the star being an angel is that it fits in with the other sections. Uh, it's the only missing piece in Matthew 2, 1 to 12. There's not an angel there, but maybe there is an angel. The star's appearing is the same expression as the angel appearing in the other three sections. Two, stars are often symbolic of angels elsewhere in Scripture. We who affirm very loudly creation, uh, quote Job 38, 7, uh, the sons of God uh, and uh, the stars are used in a parallel expression at creation. The sons of God, angels, uh, and the stars are parallel, Job 38, uh, 7. Isaiah 14, 12 associates a star with an angel. And then all through the book of Revelation, stars are symbolic of angels. So I'm not running something into Matthew 2 that doesn't have some basis elsewhere. Also, uh, I didn't just dream this up. Uh, there have been church fathers who have affirmed this, so it's not like Varner just came up with this. No, many church fathers held this view in the early church and throughout uh, the Middle Ages, that this was actually an angel in the appearance of a star. Now, your biggest question should be this, and I'm going to ask it for you. Dr. Varner, if it was an angel, why didn't it say angel? Glad you asked. All right, good. Uh, and a very valid question. And my suggestion is this. Joseph is Jewish, okay? Last time I checked, he was Jewish, okay? Uh, an angel appears to Joseph to give him direction. These are non-Jews. These are Gentiles. Perhaps that's the reason uh, the word star is used as symbolic uh, for uh, an angel appearing uh, to uh, Gentiles. Now, uh, also, this uh, would fit in with Luke's account. You're going to hear read this Christmas, uh, angel, uh, angels, uh, shepherds were uh, out abiding in the field, keeping watch for their flocks by night, and behold, what? An angel appeared to them. Fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ with the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, saying, as you know, glory to God in the highest, and peace among men of good will, or men uh, who have been chosen. So this parallels better with Luke's account. Luke has an angelic appearance, and I'm going to suggest 
that this is, is what is going on here. Now, it doesn't prove it because an artist did it. I don't know how clear that is. That's eh, fair. Uh, but uh, an artist named Leonard Bramer also looks like he's trying to uh, describe uh, the star leading the Magi to Bethlehem under the figures of angels. Now, I know an artist doesn't prove or disprove my interpretation. I, I realize that. Uh, but, uh, again, I'm not the first one to come up with this. So, um, so at the end of all this, we have a wonderful um, account, but reading it with fresh eyes. And I do this for this reason. It is so easy, guys and gals, anthropoi, uh, guys and gals. Um, um, wow, just to get bored with these stories. It's so easy to get bored with these stories. Oh, ho-hum, here come the wise guys again, you know. It's so easy to get bored with them. But I think turning fresh eyes to these accounts can make them come alive to us in a way. I might be wrong about the angel, but I'm not wrong that Magi came. You say, well, okay, uh, why a star? Well, there may be something even stronger in the Old Testament. Adam asked if I would, you know, try to stress the Old Testament. Now, the Magi did not have the Old Testament. Or maybe they did. The Magi were in the east. There was a guy named Daniel who was in Babylon. And Daniel chapter 2 says after he interpreted the dream, he was put what? Head over the wise men in Babylon. Wise men in Babylon. And the Greek Septuagint translates that as Magi. Who headed up the Magi in the book of Daniel? Daniel, the Jewish prophet. And Daniel, the Jewish prophet, does what in Daniel 9? He gives a timetable, 69 weeks. Don't worry, don't get out your calculators. We're not going to go there. I'm just going to sum it up. But after 483 years, Messiah will be cut off. Perhaps these Magi had treasured the book of Daniel written by their boss, and were aware of Daniel's prophecy. And the closer and closer and closer it gets to that 483rd year, they say, well, he's going to have to be born before he dies as an adult. Maybe. Maybe. Something else. There's a guy named Balaam. Now, Balaam was not a Jewish prophet, but Balaam gave prophecies. And in Numbers chapter 24, 7, he gives... What? A messianic prophecy. He says a star will rise out of Jacob and a scepter. Notice star and scepter. Star and scepter. Scepter's a king. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. Numbers 24, 7 says a star shall arise. In Matthew 2, literally it says we have seen his star rising in the east. I don't think this is a bunch of astrologers. It, they may have been doing astrology, but they saw something that was more than just a bright star. They saw something that their boss, Daniel, had written about. 
And Balaam, remember, Balaam was one of the great guys of the east, it says. So we know that Balaam was popular outside the canon. We have actually discovered houses, we, the archaeologists, in Jordan that were not lived in by Jews that actually refer to Balaam as a big guy. He was known in the east. So perhaps, I know it's a lot of perhapses here, <laughs> perhaps these magi not only treasured the prophecies of Daniel, their boss, but they were aware that another wise man named Balaam spoke about a star rising out of Jacob. And when they saw that star, whatever it was, they said, where is he? It's time. It's time. <laughs> And we want to come and worship him. And that's what we ought to do. I want to tell you the truth. I live a whole day without ever thinking about an angel. And you live every day. And the only angel you think of is your girlfriend. We live. Do you think about angels? I don't think about angels. But angels are real. There's, a, there's an invisible world out there. Now, we don't live in fear of a demon behind every bush. I'm not saying that. But there's a real world on the other side. And they're active, these angels. Hebrews 1.14 says, Angels are sent forth to minister to them who inherit salvation. That's me. That's you. Angels are real. And we need to get back into the mindset of the biblical writers who believe very, very vividly of another world. And that's why I think we're so hesitant. We want to scientifically explain this star. No, these guys inhabited a world where they were aware of angels. Now, I'm not saying an angel appeared to me six months ago. I, I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we need to be aware as we read the Bible to put on the glasses of the biblical writers so that we can see this dynamic world on the other side. Uh, and reading these nativity accounts should remind us of that. Angels are sent forth to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. That's us. So, when you're asked to give a devotional this Christmas when you're home, ask me for the PowerPoint. <laughs> it might come in handy, at least to stimulate thought. But for you, I hope that the effect of all of this is this. I want to know where he is. Because I want to come and worship him. And I hope that will be all of our response this Christmas. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these attentive students. We pray that we would be diligent in turning fresh eyes on these old texts. Show us all that is there. May we rejoice when we see the star because that star is announcing the birth of our Savior. May we come and worship Him. It's in His 
blessed name that we pray. Amen.